0: Is Draco Malfoy and the Talon Brand. Part 5 of the Mirror of Isidaru series by Star Bridget. Chapter 8. The Cursed Quill. Draco dealt with the impending prospect of a black quill in the way best suited to his strengths. He cursed it. He had defence that Tuesday morning with Umbridge before Harry had detention with her that night. His time with Rita Skeeter had given him the idea, and so After Umbridge had finished not teaching them for a solid two-hour block, he watched her go right down the stairs, past her office, towards the Great Hall for lunch. That was Draco's cue to go around the corner, put on the invisibility cloak and break into Umbridge's office. He was certain she would have a number of special locking systems up, as well as warding and detection against any intruders, but it was child's play to get himself in. "'All he had to do was one negligible bit of magic "'from the most dark blood rituals of the demon goddess Hecate, "'which he had kept all summer and heard nothing about from Harry. "'Maybe Harry had reported it lost. "'In any event, Draco considered it his. "'The so-called ritual, Hostium Posticum, was almost laughably simple, "'more of a little prick and wand flick in front of the doorknob. "'He'd had premature orgasms that took longer.' All he had to do was carve Hecate's wheel on his palm with a dagger impregnated previously with the darkest magics. Periander's moonstone dagger he always kept on him. Check. Press the wheel into the shape of his blood onto the enemy's possession. She'd left a handkerchief in the dustbin after call. Check. And cast the incantation, Amulus imitis three times in succession. Then a quick prayer to Hecate and boom. Easy as. It said it required a powerful wizard and an incredibly large outlay of dark magic to work, but Draco barely felt a tinge as the door slid obligingly open. Okay, so one of his goals for the year had been no more blood magic rituals, and he'd broken it before the first week of classes was out, but this hardly counted, and according to the book he should be able to use the dagger to unlock any of Umbridge's holdings or possessions now. "'although that was a mixed bag once he went in and beheld what horrors "'Umbridge had made of the defence office. "'Say what you would of the carrows, "'he had preferred them as interior decorators, fewer doilies. "'The black quill was in the top drawer of her desk, "'separated from the others, darker and thinner and more sinister-looking. "'He had thought her too poor to afford more than one of these nasty things.' "'Merlin was he glad his father had never decided to invest in one, "'and so it appeared. "'If she had more or ordered another, "'he would just break in and curse those too. flagrante. he whispered. "'He put all the force of the talon wand into it "'to be sure it would be hard to break. "'When he put a fingernail to it to test it after, "'he nearly burned off the entire finger. "'So he had accomplished his goal with no one the wiser.' Harry never even asked him what he needed the invisibility cloak for. When he returned it, he was more interested in grilling Draco on the new Slytherin line Bizarrely enough, he claimed to have followed Draco's orders this time not to spy on his Quidditch practices, which almost hurt Draco's feelings. Didn't Harry fancy him at all anymore? Ron corroborated Harry's story. And you don't know what it costs him to stay away, mate, he laughed. "'whispering behind Harry and Hermione's back in their next potions class. "'If you could see how many times he's drawn up prospective Slytherin line-ups.' "'Far more times, it seemed, than he read the instructions in potions class. "'Draco was going to have to start working on providing Harry "'alternative motivation to try harder in that.' "'It was certainly easier for Harry, though, "'without any wound on his hand this time around. "'Umbridge was the one wounded in their first detention.' as Harry told a bemused story of Umbridge producing a special quill for him to write lines with, only to yelp and drop the quill running out, screeching. Eventually all he'd had to do was write lines night after night. He complained, of course, rubbing his hand and going on about the insulting tedium of scratching down I must not tell lies, over and over. If he had known what he could be scratching it into, though, he wouldn't have complained. Luna reported with satisfaction that she'd overheard Umbridge complaining to Madame Pomfrey that none of the treatments worked. While she'd told Pomfrey it didn't hurt any more, apparently the scarlet burn on her palm remained just as dark as ever. Harry's detentions did impact him, though, by putting him immediately behind on all his homework. The pre-OWL load seemed too much for him already. Draco offered the unthinkable, and wrote his potions essay on moonstones for him. He took great effort with Harry's ugly handwriting, finding the falsifingus spell to transform his writing to it, and he made sure to copy Harry's tone and intellectual deficiencies as best he could. He thought it could fool even Severus, and if Severus detected the cheating, he never called them out on it. That night, Draco kept himself away from the Gryffindor tryouts, though he was curious if anyone would be dumb enough to try and supplant Harry as seeker in his absence. From the sounds of it, no one had, and the grand announcement at the library on Saturday morning was Ron's ascension to the position of keeper. Draco had seen it coming, but he still gave Ron the mother of all high-fives, and then a fist bump, and then another high-five. See you flying at midnight, mate? Ron enthused. We've got our first practice this afternoon, but tonight. Well... "'We'll be practising Sunday nights now,' Draco said uncomfortably. "'And Tuesday and Friday nights. "'And besides, Ron, now that you're officially on another team, I don't think—' "'Ron's face fell. "'Yeah, you're right,' he said, and Hermione patted him on the back. Three nights a week?' Luna asked. "'Already? That's so much, Draco. Is it because there's so many new players?' I wouldn't call them new, Draco said evasively. Harry looked liable to die out of curiosity. This isn't fair, Harry complained. He told Luna everyone you picked. Luna nodded. She asked, Draco said with a shrug, and Harry smiled at him hopefully. Oh, you can ask, Harry. You just might not get the same result. I'll find out eventually... Harry groaned. "'Luna, will you please? It's not fair. Gryffindor is marching up, running to tell Draco who's playing what, and I just have to keep guessing.' "'It is only fair, Draco,' Hermione said, and pressed until Draco agreed. "'Okay,' said Draco. "'Fine, Harry. I'll show you mine, if you show me yours.' He ignored the faint, dirty-minded flush that put on Harry's face and began to write out a starting line-up on a sheet of parchment. "'Write yours, too!' he demanded, shielding his with his arm. Harry handed over a line-up virtually unchanged from third year. "'Ron Weasley, Fred Weasley, George Weasley, Alicia Spinette, Angelina Johnson, Captain, Katie Bell, Harry Potter. "'Typical!' Ron laughed when he looked over Harry's shoulder upon the trade and saw Draco had been less forthcoming. Bulstrode, Crabbe, Goyle, Parkinson, not Greengrass, Malfoy. Which Greengrass? Harry began to demand, incensed, while Draco marvelled that Harry knew there were two of them, Daphne or Astoria. You know their names, Draco drawled. "'Even the third-year one? Why, Harry, you are quite the connoisseur of Slytherins, aren't you?' "'Shut up!' Harry squawked and buried his red face in his arms. "'Everyone's new but Draco,' Ron said with a frown. "'What the hell happened here? I mean, I heard no one was happy about girls being let in, but—' Hermione poked her head in, looking up from where she had begun to tune out the Quidditch talk. Draco put on a haughty face. It was time for a clean-out of some of the dead wood and dross. I'm sure any observer would agree. I'm not about to catch the snitch all three times and lose the cup again. Oh, you're not catching the snitch three times at all, Harry said menacingly. Or it might have been, if he hadn't mumbled it with his red face still buried in his own arms. No wonder you're practising three nights a week, Ron said. How are you not calling them new? No one but you has played a day of Hogwarts Quidditch in their lives. It seemed in Draco's head like Vince and Greg had, but the blue loop didn't count. We have our ways, Slytherins, don't you worry about us. That sounded cooler than admitting they had all used to play Quidditch together at playdates and birthday parties when they were children. The first practice didn't go as badly as he'd feared, even with night approaching. Everyone seemed motivated, which was natural when Draco thought of how much they had to prove everyone wrong now. They had all put themselves out on a limb with this, not just Draco. They had defied tradition, risking their reputations, and no one was more sensitive about reputation than a Slytherin. Not to mention Astoria's older sister hadn't spoken to her in days, nor to Draco, over Astoria making the team over her. It wasn't Draco's fault that Astoria had a better throwing arm on her. The only wrinkle was Blaze showing up, despite being cut. But at least he confined himself to sitting in the stands, doing homework by a floating candle, and only occasionally making smart comments. So, fifth year as a whole could have gotten off to a much worse start. Ron and Harry didn't seem to agree as they had fallen further behind with their work already, with their extra Quidditch practices, along with Harry's detentions, and Hermione's refusal to let either of them copy off her any more. She browbeat Draco into doing the same. Harry and Draco seemed to come to a silent agreement not to mention the potions essay Draco had written for him to the others. So it was that their study table was the site of great lamentations as well as great incompetence, "'Neville seemed to become a regular fixture there, "'with his own struggles no less than Ron and Harry's. "'Or maybe he just fancied Luna too much at this point "'to resist any chance to hang around in her vicinity. "'When Draco pointed out that Neville was sitting with them "'because he had a crush on Luna, "'she shook her head and whispered, "'Oh, Draco, it's not that. It's more complicated.' "'You do know he fancies you.' "'Draco said, frowning, "'he asked you to the Yule Ball.' "'And there's no Yule Ball this year,' Luna said, "'before Draco gestured for her to lower her voice "'and pulled her further back into the charm stacks. "'Hobology stacks were a terrible place to gossip about Neville Longbottom. "'I don't think he fancies me, Draco. "'I think he just wants to be friends. "'He's always wanted to be closer to those three, you know. "'He idolises them, and—' "'She hesitated.' Face clouding, it's a show of loyalty. Picking his library table differently, you know, like you not playing football with she Miss Finnegan. That was because he was too busy now as Quidditch captain. But from the way Dean had looked as he told him, Dean had at least taken it to have a different motivation. Draco still didn't really understand until she pulled him to the side and showed him Dean and Seamus at their own table on the other side of the main open area. See. "'Neville usually sits with them,' Luna explained. "'But he wants to show, however he can, that he believes Harry, even if Seamus doesn't. "'Harry has it rough enough already.' She was right about Harry having it hard. The next day, Draco was shown a truly extraordinary letter by Ron, which proved the point so well it made him grateful for Neville voting with his feet. "'Check out this codswallop!' Ron said briskly, "'You're the only one who hasn't seen it. You can burn it whatever once is done.' Draco skimmed over the letter from Percy on that rainy Monday afternoon, an owl that had come unceremoniously to a window in Gryffindor Tower the previous night. It was a letter longer even than the oversized missives Draco and Sirius tended to send each other. Between incoherent complaints about the embarrassment the Scabbers' story had caused their family, Percy's overall message came through loud and clear. Stay away from Harry Potter! "'and sever ties with the Order of the Phoenix entirely. "'Do you mind if I keep this?' Draco asked. "'Some blood magic calls for a person's possession. "'You can just use a letter sent by someone for it.' "'Draco Lucius Malfoy?' Hermione began, "'and Draco gave her his cutest pout. "'What?' he whined. "'He's my least favourite Weasley.' "'Wait,' Ron said. You have a ranking for us. Draco was happy to put aside that disturbing, pernicious letter and attend to happier topics, even if the warning Percy had put about Umbridge being given more power had already come true. The Daily Prophet had announced, as in the Blue Loop, that Umbridge had been made Hogwarts High Inquisitor, with the only real point of interest in the article a quote from father, acting as if he was so concerned over the educational standards for his son. Ron and Harry had already sat through a divination class supervised by Umbridge, in which she had harassed Trelawney so excessively that the story even made Hermione express sympathy for her. Then there had been the conversation Harry held with Sirius last night by the two-way mirror, where Sirius had given Umbridge's agenda a darker background. Apparently, the information from inside the Ministry was that Fudge didn't want Hogwarts students trained in combat for fear Dumbledore was raising them as a private army to take on the Ministry of Magic. Draco laughed out loud at that, remembering the Blue Loop and the formation of Harry's group Dumbledore's army, but none of the others had been laughing at the thought of a whole year without any defence training right after the Dark Lord's return. One would think Fudge was working for Voldemort, setting up the youth as sitting ducks, but no. Draco knew from the inside, last time, that Fudge was just foolish and blind, and sometimes foolish and blind could be just as dangerous as evil. From all the bad tidings to share, it was no wonder that the other five at the table leapt on the idea of Draco's Weasley ranking as a welcome distraction from the troubles of the real world. "'Percy's last, obviously, eh? Yeah. Ron said eagerly. "'No surprise there. Good, you a death-eater in front of the entire school.' He was even beforehand, Draco said with a haughty sniff. Now give me a moment. I need to review my official ranking. Then I'll write it up for you lot and give my explanations. He got a fresh piece of parchment and filled it out with a flourish, before magically copying the sheet to a copy for each of them. Neville looked very happy to have chosen their table over Seamus's. First official ranking of Weasley children, September ninth, nineteen ninety five. Draco Malfoy, seventh, Percy, sixth, Ginny, fifth, Bill, fourth, George, third, Fred, second, Ron, first, Charlie. The list didn't seem to make anyone happy. Neville was confused. Hermione and Luna were indignant to find Ginny so low, complaining that Draco didn't even know Bill. It was almost like Draco had a grudge against Ginny or something. And Ron and Harry were both indignant that Charlie was in first place. I've been your mate for over four years now, Ron said, sputtering in indignation. And you still put me behind my brother because you think he's hot. Draco shrugged. There are a number of complicated factors that go into this ranking. Too intricate for simple minds to follow. You really do fancy Charlie, don't you? Harry said darkly. You two didn't spend any time together at the party for Sirius at the Burrow, did you? The age of consent in Wizarding Britain is sixteen, Luna said brightly. You're almost there. I'm so lost, Neville said, and everyone ignored him. Draco got nothing but grief later as well, when George found out he had been ranked below his brother. He demanded to know if it was just alphabetically motivated, or if Draco had something against him. Draco couldn't exactly tell him, "'I feel bad for your brother, because he's the one who's going to die.' So he just drawled, "'You'll never know,' and earned a very impolite gesture before George let him be. These weaselies took this too seriously.' "'competitive in everything, that lot. "'Though seven siblings with limited finances "'did have to inevitably turn Hobbesian at a certain point. "'No wonder Ron had such a huge brother complex. "'Still, everyone was worrying about which Weasley's Draco thought was superior, "'and not whether Fudge or Umbridge was about to get Harry or Dumbledore arrested. "'That was a real win. "'Harry got himself another week of detentions from Umbridge.' but no black quill appeared for those either. So either Draco's curse had done as he hoped, and scared Umbridge off the things for a while, or she just couldn't afford another yet. Draco's attention turned to another kind of dark magic. His blood magic book, Hecate's Wheel, which in July Draco had, in all his infinite wisdom, decided would be the perfect symbol for Hermione's birthday present. It wasn't an etched design, but an actual wheel. Intricate and mysterious, with the five-pointed star wedged securely between the mottled turquoise coils. He'd used a real blue diamond from one of Great Aunt Walberger's bracelets for the star, taking hours and hours just on the minute work carving its facets carefully, and it stood out, prismatic and almost eerie within the whirls of darker blue. It would probably be the most beautiful charm of all, even over the dragon Oribos that Severus had been the one to carve for her last birthday. But looking at that symbol reminded him of the spells he'd been doing. He thought his guilt would bleed through somehow when he showed the charm to Severus the night before Hermione's birthday. But all Severus did was agree it was an adequate present, more than visually appealing, enough to fit in with the rest of the bracelet and shoo him away. He was being kept busy with all of the extra potions he was making for Draco, so Draco couldn't blame him. Draft of Peace, Angel's Infusion, and even Wolfsbane. Severus had insisted that he not only keep making Draft of Peace, though Draco's had turned out fine in class, but that he would take over the other two Draco had been doing at Grimald. Draco had been speechless at the notion of Severus making Remus's potion for him again, when he had seemed more likely to concoct a potion of his own entrails to serve him. But Severus had just said something dry about Draco's Sisyphean ambition of 12 OWLs, making it likely that with any more extracurricular work, Draco would have no time for his captaincy at all. "'I expect tactical transformation.' He informed Draco over the glitter of the charm of the wheel with the smell of the perfect batch of wolfsbane wafting between them. "'I expect scintillating, cutting-edge Quidditch. "'I expect the Quidditch cup with green and silver trophy ribbons "'and the house cup for Slytherin with it. "'So go off and draft some plays.' I have a myriad of potions to slave away upon for my burdensome godson. Draco gave Hermione a lovely birthday party, as well as the Hecate's wheel charm, which she had ooed and aahed over, with no one but Luna thinking it was anything more than a pretty sort of rune. They had sadly agreed there was no more room for new charms on the bracelet. It left the final contents of her bracelet as a dragon's tooth, an Ankh, a Saint Bridget's cross, a Medusa head, a pomegranate, a star of Ishtar, a Kaliantra, a dragon Oribos, Hecate's wheel, and an H for Hermione. Years of friendship unbroken. He hoped she wouldn't get bored of it too quickly. He pledged to get Hermione a mystery book for this Christmas instead, which marked it as high time for him to devote himself to his other transfiguration project, a secret, to everyone but him and Sirius, and now his transfiguration professor, as it was not Severus but McGonagall he ended up spending his time hanging around for extracurricular help. He didn't want to let Severus down, taking on more projects to distract himself from his duties as Slytherin captain, but he had promised to do the rings for Sirius and Remus already, and hoped she would be amenable to at least giving him instructions for a direction to take. She was in the Order of the Phoenix with them. A beautiful design, Mr Malfoy, was her first assessment, when he put the picture down before her. She gave it a good look over, though he was holding her up from the lesson's clean-up. Did you draw this from a real snowdrop? Yeah, Draco said, and showed her his sketchpad's earlier pages full of much more dilapidated-looking snowdrops. I know there are more picturesque-looking flowers, but... Does the flower have some special sentimental meaning? McGonagall asked, with an unexpectedly soft smile herself. Did you mean to use embellished enamel or entirely gems? Gems and flowers, plural, Draco said, and took a deep breath. Two of them, one for each ring, and I'm not sure, Professor, this... This is a serious project. I don't know if you've seen. I make transfigured jewellery like... Like a lot, just as a present for friends, but this is something I'm getting paid for. I mean, I'll give the money back if it's not good enough, or if he doesn't end up using it. Calm down, Mr. Malfoy. Why are you whispering? Draco pulled out his wand and called, In Motus. McGonagall didn't say anything in response to him surrounding her class in an imperturbable charm, but her eyebrow did quirk up, reminding him of Severus. Sorry, it's a secret. A secret, McGonagall echoed. And who else knows of the secret, Mr. Malfoy? Just you and me, Draco said, and then took the plunge. And, um, Sirius Black. McGonagall looked at him then, then down at the design and the form of it, with the round white gold band of the ring weighted with the drooping snowdrop. Slowly, that cat-like face behind her spectacle's face spread into the gentlest smile he had ever seen it wear. "'Come to think of it, I remember Mr Black flooding our house's table more than once, "'Valentine's Day, in a deluge of snowdrops.' "'She looked past him, and then she walked over and touched one of the desks, "'and then the one beside it. "'Here is where they sat in my class, Mr Malfoy.' "'She did not specify to which side had been James Potter or Pettigrew, "'though he could see the darkness briefly in her eyes as they both had the thought. "'I looked at that desk of Mr Black's many times after his conviction,' and try to understand how the boy I remembered, troublesome and cantankerous and so full-hearted, could have become what they said he was. It has been one of the greatest joys of my time as a professor, to find that I was right about one of my students, and that all that potential would not go to waste. Most of all, for Professor Lupin's sake. Rarely have I ever had such a humble, dedicated and brilliant colleague. He deserves this miracle. He deserves impossible things. I would be honoured to help you with your project. If even one small thing of beauty can help bless them along the way to the life I know Mr. Black dreamed of, since they were younger than you are now. Yes, it would be my honour, Mr. Malfoy. She was looking misty-eyed, and Draco felt much the same. It doesn't bother you that it's two men, Professor. They won't be able to get married legally, but... McGonagall waved aside the objection dismissively. Such love has been felt by some of history's greatest wizards, if also some of its darkest, because love is just love, Mr Malfoy, in whatever form it takes. And they hurt no one with that love. Those who would begrudge Mr Black and Mr Lupin their happiness, after everything they have suffered. Love is not something such people even understand, let alone the power of the magic in it. I do believe, Mr Malfoy, there will be powerful magic in these rings you make, with or without these rune designs. She cleared her throat, making herself go businesslike. Did you imagine these painted? I've been imagining some kind of gem work you can't do without magic, Draco said with a sheepish smile. It's way beyond what I can do, which is why I came to you, Professor. I don't know if you've ever transfigured this kind of thing before, and I, I know I'm not even in your house so you don't have to help me, but... What did you imagine for the runes, Mr Malfoy?" She asked impatiently. Something like liquid diamonds, actually, Draco said, rubbing the back of his head. Melting gems down and using them as a sort of paint in their most liquefied form. I had this as white gold, but the band could be black gold, mottled or pure black, or even raw black diamonds. It would set off the snowdrops more. A whole band of raw diamond would be pretty special. The melted diamond effect should be possible, McGonagall said, pushing up her spectacles. "'and looking down at his drawing again critically. "'Although it is incredibly advanced and precise magic. "'What does sound impractical as the sheer expenditure of? "'No, not really,' Draco said brightly, "'and reached into his bag "'and produced the huge onyx and gilt jewellery box from Gwimond. "'Here's what we're working with, no holds barred. "'The more of it we use up, the better, really. "'Call it an exorcism. "'You know where it's from, don't you?' Once Draco opened the box, and she saw the number of black sigils she understood. "'Oh, yes, Mr Malfoy,' she murmured. "'An exorcism, indeed. "'Oh, yes, this shall do nicely. "'You will have to take out books, perhaps send for some. "'We should write you a list of titles.' Draco began the slow, close, intricate, patient work of crafting a snowdrop ring for Remus, and then making a matching one for Sirius. He was waiting for Hagrid to get back for full OWL review, in hopes he would privately help him review for the care of magical creatures OWL, and Severus taking over all his potions was a godsend. But Draco was kept busy with the rings, the other eleven OWLs in prep, coursework and practices three days a week. He had to plan for an entirely new Quidditch team up against a seasoned Gryffindor in November. So when he and Luna first heard the rumblings of Dumbledore's army, Draco's immediate response was, "'Absolutely not!' "'You don't think it's a good idea?' Hermione said, looking so disappointed by his reaction, it was hard not to feel guilty. Harry's head lifted at that, as if looking for Draco to give him an excuse to bail out of it before it began. "'No, no,' Draco said hastily, raising his hands. "'It's great!' I just don't want any part of it. You gave Harry private dueling lessons last semester, Ron said. and Draco cast the Inmotus around their part of the Transfiguration Courtyard again for good measure. Some second-year Hufflepuffs tried to cut across the grass towards their class and had to stop, puzzled, as an invisible barrier repelled them. You did? Ron persisted, rolling his eyes at the sight of Draco repelling the Hufflepuffs. And we all know that came in handy, didn't it? "'It's great. If Harry's willing to provide all you lot a real defence education,' Draco agreed, not wanting to dissuade them from a very worthy pursuit. "'Salazar knows Umbridge won't, but you can't start a Defence Against the Dark Arts Club with me around. I bring the dark arts, yes, but not so much the defence. "'What about the visual appeal?' Ron joked. "'Who's going to bring that without you?' Draco smirked at the reference to his own joke, then put on a look of faux offence. "'Excuse you! Did you not notice my lovely cousin here beside you? You're in, aren't you, Luna?' Luna nodded excitedly. She seemed the most committed new member of Dumbledore's army before it even began. "'Luna brings visual appeal for days. Have you not noticed her earrings?' Neville offered copious praise while Luna obligingly pulled her hair aside to show off the day's earrings, which were a pair of singularly surly little hanging pink armadillos. When you petted them, they sneered at you, and when you scratched them behind their ears, as Draco demonstrated, the armadillos would turn to look at each other in weary despair over what you had to put up with. "'You don't have to join,' Hermione said with a sigh, ignoring his diversion attempts would will you just come along to this meeting we're setting up? "'The first weekend in October is Hogsmeade. "'We're going to tell everyone who's interested to meet us at the Hogshead to plan it.' "'Well, that's right out then,' Draco interrupted. "'A Malfoy in the Hogshead. "'It's against the laws of nature. "'The skin would crawl off my bones of its own volition.' "'Draco Lucius Malfoy!' Hermione said firmly. Frankenstein, you are coming, and that is that. Draco's mouth fell shut. Well, she barked. Okay, Draco said in a meek voice. But I'm not joining, all right. All right, said Hermione. It's settled. October 5th. We're all going. No one but us is going to even show up, I bet. Harry complained. He's going to want to hear what I have to say, except to make fun of me or call me a murderer. You might be surprised, Hermione said primly, and Draco knew she was right. Let's make a mandatory member count below which I don't have to join. Draco began. Harry sighed and rolled away from him on the grass, staring off at nothing. It's fine. It'll be easier without Draco taking part anyway. Suddenly, Draco found himself seized with the mad desire to join Dumbledore's army, if it was the last thing he ever did. If that was meant to be reverse psychology, it was distressingly effective. He sat up and peered over to see Harry's face, only to find he just looked distant. What? Draco said, trying to keep from sounding offended. Why will it be easier for you? For one, Ron said, try thinking of some spell to teach Draco he doesn't already know. Draco considered, then stretched out on his back beside Harry, and began prodding him in the calf with his foot to get his attention. Here's one, Harry. Can you do a disillusionment charm? No, Harry said, ignoring him and rubbed at his scar. Draco considered, then grabbed Harry by the shoulder, rolled him over, and began to poke insistently at his scar. Hey, what? Does it hurt? Draco enthused manically. Does it? Does it hurt? Does it hurt? It does now. Harry protested, but as he began to grapple playfully with Draco, he was laughing. His beautiful green eyes come back to life again. Umbridge had seemed done with class inspections in September, but she soon came for another one in charms, making Draco fear that she was suspicious about Dumbledore's army forming and checking up on Draco. Except she seemed to have it in for Flitwick once she arrived, the same way she did for just about every professor who didn't actively publicly despised Dumbledore. So maybe that was the reason for her inspections resuming. Poor old Flitwick, as perfectly ordinary and competent a professor as anyone could imagine, had to suffer her constant pointless interruptions throughout, with her little cough of <clears throat> cutting off every time he was about to make a useful point. And when they were told to practice the colour change charm individually on their berets, She seemed to hone in immediately on the two least likely to succeed, Vince and Greg. Charms was hard enough for these two, even without having spent the past night up late at Quidditch practice, with a now regretful Draco as their slave-driving captain. As it was, neither of them had done a thing to change the felt from black to the requested bright red you feel you have received adequate instruction "'to be ready to perform this charm on your own?' Umbridge Pride, In a class of only the nine fifth-year Slytherins, everyone could hear her loud and clear. Draco gritted his teeth and kept his head down, but it was hard to ignore the awkwardness in the air, as Vince answered after a confused moment, "'Yeah, totally.' "'Oh, but then, my dear boy... is your hat only turning blacker? Vince's face flushed in a way usually reserved for heavy flying sessions. Don't do anything stupid Draco. Theo hissed it's not worth it. And Draco's nails dug into his palm. Well it is a new charm she said with a high giggle no one else in the room shared. "'I'm sure you'd be more effective with charms from previous years, wouldn't you, dear boy? "'Professor Flitwick, what were the charms you covered last year in this class?' "'Flitwick stepped forward nervously. "'The locking charm,' he said. "'The banishing charm, the the scouring charm, the exploding charm, the summoning charm.' "'Umbridge.' who had been carefully watching Vince's face, caught him flinching at the summoning charm and pounced. Ah, yes, excellent, the summoning charm, she trilled. Why, that should be a piece of cake for a fifth year, if properly instructed. My dear boy, why don't you show us your summoning charm, say, the tongs from the fireplace. Go on. Accio tongs, Vince said. "'looking rather doubtful of his own ability to accomplish the charm "'which, of course, he had barely ever managed last year. "'The closest he had come, reputedly, had been during exams, "'when, in response to the command to summon an eraser, "'he had summoned Flitwick's glasses off him. "'Accio tongs!' he said louder, doing the wand motion correctly, "'and the tongs quivered in the air but showed no sign of budging. Draco, Theo hissed again, putting a hand on his arm, Draco looked down to see his hand had gone into his wand pocket. It's, uh, it'll work in a second, Vince said dumbly. An umbrage whirled on Flitwick triumphantly, who quivered before her alarmingly. Is this the, uh, ahem, typical level of this class? she asked, voice saccharine sweet. All students are at uh, different stages at different times, Flitwick said fumblingly which was the kindest possible way of saying the student she'd picked was the biggest doofus in his year. Oh, really? she said, widening her eyes in faux enlightenment. Who would you say is the best student in this class, then, Professor Flitwick? Draco tried to sink lower into his seat, but Flitwick didn't blink before happily proclaiming, Oh, Draco Malfoy, without a doubt, he's a real prodigy. Umbridge's jaw tightened, the pretense of niceness flickering in and out on her face at the reminder of the boy who had sparred with her on the Wizengormat's stand. "'Very well, then, Mr. Malfoy. Why don't you come to the front of the class and we'll see the level of what the best of you can do?' Draco glanced over at Flitwick, who looked elated by this turn of events, having full faith in Draco's casting abilities. The poor bastard had no idea he'd said the absolute last name he should have if he wanted to get into Umbridge's good graces. He might just have signed his death warrant if she didn't already have so many targets in her sights. Trelawney and Hagrid, the blue loop told him, were likely to come first. and Draco didn't want to be the reason for Flitwick to be in trouble this time. He had no relationship with the man at all, good or bad. But in both timelines, this was a teacher who had never been anything but uniformly helpful, professional and kind to him. Draco marched up to the front desk in front of Flitwick's stacks of books while Flitwick moved out of the way. "'Very well,' she said silkily. "'Let's see your colour change charm.' Akio Bere. "'Draco said, forestalling any request for a summoning charm, "'before casting Calaveria and turning it a perfect Gryffindor crimson. "'She was dreaming if she thought she could name a charm "'from the curriculum that he couldn't do. The banishing charm,' she ordered, "'and he duly cast Di pulso and sent the barrow flying away. Familius, she said, "'and he sent up red sparks, unable to hide the boredom on his face.' while Flitwick beamed in naive pride. On it went, through the third and fourth year charms, until Umbridge seemed to realise she was getting nowhere, and went on to things he shouldn't have to know at the start of fifth year. Aguamenti, she said, and his boredom didn't change as he produced water from the end of his wand, summoning a log from the fireplace to extinguish with it. Difodio she said. "'and he couldn't hold back a short, contemptuous laugh "'as he used the gouging charm on the burnt log. "'When he'd written out, I must not tell lies, "'her gaze flicked up to his before settling "'with some of the most vicious malice "'he had ever seen on a human face. "'It made him wonder if it was really Flitwick "'who she had come to assess today after all. "'Reducto,' she ordered, "'and he blew the log to bits.' casting a bublio to keep both him and her from being hit by the fragments. Then he elegantly flicked his wand and made the fragments reassemble, the words, I must not tell lies, soon staring back at her the same. The disillusionment charm, she ordered, seeming eager to erase the taunting words, and Draco froze. Oh, fuck. "'I think I've put on quite enough of a show for you today, don't all of you?' Draco drawled, tossing his hair with a languid sneer. "'Really, I should think no more demonstration need be given "'for the excellence of Professor Flitwick's charms teaching. "'If anything, if going off my example, "'he ought to be sanctioned for being too good at his job.' "'He was not about to stand up there and attempt a charm he knew he couldn't do not in front of her. See, look at my charm work, he said, and levitated the log in the air before her eyes. Lacanum in he hissed, and sent a fireball to ignite the wood right in front of her face. She let out a shocked gasp and stumbled back, falling against the desk and sending some of Flitwick's books tumbling down. He could hear Theo telling the other students not to laugh. Don't worry, Draco sneered. I have perfect control of it. Umbridge let out a whimper that did his ego a world of good, until he saw her eyes were not following the flame, but his wand hand from so close to her. Could she have recognised the Talon wand as Aunt Bella's somehow? It hadn't been a familiar sight to her before, given how she had never had made them do magic in her class. That was his fear. "'until he followed her gaze from the talon wand to her own hand. "'So Draco stepped closer, staring at her through the heat haze, "'and got his first look at Umbridge's burn. "'He'd thought it the curve of a quill, but it was a sharp angle, "'a bend at the centre of her palm, "'in a shape and thickness nothing like the black quill "'should have left when she touched it. "'The brand it had left was the exact impression "'the talon wand had made on the hands of mother, father, Sirius and Karkaroff. Except she hadn't touched his wand. Just a quill he'd cursed. Unless there had been something more in that ritual he'd done from the Hecate book to get into her office. But it had been easy. He hadn't felt drained after it at all. Energised, if anything. Draco vanished the burning log and pocketed his wand, tearing his gaze away from her hand. She didn't seem to have noticed his attention on her talon brand, so fixed was the horrified transfiction of her own. Is that enough of a demonstration, Professor Umbridge? he asked, and faintly she nodded. Well, Professor Flitwick, she managed to get out, though her usually ruddy face had gone pale. Your student is adequate. You will be receiving the results of your inspection within ten days, she said and left the classroom before Flitwick could even wish her goodbye. The other Slytherins, as well as Flitwick, gave Draco a hearty congratulations on his performance, though Draco was too shaken not to admit. "'I can't do a disillusionment charm, you know. I've tried.' "'We'll cover it this year, my boy,' Flitwick said warmly. "'I will make sure by the time O.W.L.'s come around. Most impressive work, Mr. Malfoy.' "'Yes,' Draco said softly with the image of the Talon brand seared into his vision. Impressive, indeed. Thank you for listening to this chapter of Draco Malfoy and the Talon Brand, part five of the Mirror of Isidiru series by Star Bridget.